Well, welcome to Grace. Thanks for being here this weekend. And uh, if we haven't met, my name's Ryan, one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, I'd love to meet you. Hello, someone who talked back. <laughs> and uh, if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. And I do want to warn you, this whole week I lost my voice. And I just got it back about 24 hours ago. So if any point in our time together, I open my mouth and nothing comes out, we're just going to wrap up early. Okay? So like, bear with me. Thank you so much for that. And I do want to reiterate real quick before we jump into our conversation today, uh, something we heard a little bit about earlier. We talked about Discovery Group, and that launches today. So if you've been hanging around Grace for a little bit and uh, don't really know what the next step is, jumping into Discovery is the easiest next step to take. And it's a seven-week group. Uh, We, again, launch it today, this afternoon, and then kind of connect you into a group that lasts another six weeks, all during weekend services. And so if you want to take that step, we'd love to have you. It's hot outside. We have air conditioning, and we'll feed you lunch. And so uh, jump into that if you want to. You don't need to sign up or anything. You can just walk downstairs, and uh, we'll get you connected. But I'm excited to take us uh, the next kind of step in the journey in the series that we've been in for the last bunch of weeks now called The Most Interesting Man in the World. And uh, really what we've been doing is looking at the person of Jesus. And we said, man, kind of no matter how I view Jesus, I have to admit that he has made an unbelievable impact on the world. Right, so if I see Jesus as the most important person in my life, he's the one that defines me and directs me, or if maybe I'm on the other end of the spectrum and I'm skeptical about Jesus, no matter where we land in between that whole kind of range, I look at Jesus and say, yeah, over the last 2,000 years, probably no one has impacted the world more than he has. Uh, from everything from the fact that people all over the planet would look at Jesus and say, man, I orient my entire life, the way I view the world, the way I make decisions, the way I form my priorities, all around who Jesus is, right? To the fact that that this book, the Bible, is the best-selling book ever written, and it's all about Jesus, to even even the fact that there's things like universities and hospitals, that education and kind of that emphasis has been formed often from Jesus and his teaching, Uh, Many of us who are in leadership, we would study servant leadership. That all comes from Jesus, right? That's all the stuff that Jesus taught that has showed up. We've seen the wisdom of it, and it affects the way that we think, and it affects the way that we live, probably in ways we don't even realize. And we said he did all of that in 33 years, and really his ministry was only three years. See, this guy's mind-blowing. Certainly he's worth spending our time on and looking at, understanding a little bit more deeply, And uh, for those of us who are Christ followers, we'd say absolutely he's worthy of our attention and our time and our focus, want to know Jesus personally. And for those of you who are kind of investigating Jesus, trying to understand if you want to follow him or not, my guess is as your time through this kind of series unfolds, you're going to get a better picture of who Jesus is, right? Because it's a big deal to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to commit my life to following him. So you want to understand who is he? What makes him tick? What drives him? Uh, what would it have been like to actually physically be in the room with Jesus? And we want to look at some stories that help us to capture some of that and understand who Jesus was. And so what we've been doing is looking all through kind of the book of John so far. We said we're not going to look just at a culture's view of Jesus or even maybe what a history book would say. We're going to go to the Bible, which accurately records history, but it's looking at Jesus through the eyes of one of his followers, uh, one of the, the people that were close to Jesus' life. He actually saw him do the things that he did. And John is going to approach Jesus' life through what we call a gospel account, where he's going to lay out what Jesus did in kind of these series of signs. So seven miraculous things that Jesus did. 
and he's going to tell us what Jesus was all about, what he said, and then at kind of at the end of the book, he's going to leave the decision in our court and say, hey, here's Jesus, right? Here's, here's what he's all about. Here's what he's done. What do you want to do with him now? And as we're going to see, the nature of who Jesus is and the nature of what he said causes us to have to make a decision about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not the kind of person, and he didn't have the kind of teaching that allows us to land in a place where we're neutral about Jesus, where we just think, yeah, he's a neat guy. There's really no room for landing there. We're going to see that more and more as we see some of the signs that he performed, because at this point so far, if you're just jumping into the series, I encourage you to catch up online, graceohio.org, grab YouTube channel or app. But so far what's happened is Jesus has been like kind of the hero of a lot of the stories, right? He's come in and rescued and kind of saved the day. And now what's going to happen is Jesus in his ministry, the heat's going to start to get turned up. And opposition is going to start to raise at a whole nother level. Because you've got to think about this. Jesus goes from being kind of a rock star where everybody wants to be around Jesus. They all want to follow him. We're going to see some of that today. To somehow he goes from being that kind of figure in his culture to being somebody that kind of everybody's excited about crucifying. So how does he move from here to here? And what did he do to deserve that? And, and how did he land in that place? So we're going to see some of where that came out in our conversation today as we look at the next sign. So fascinating story we're going to look at today. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. We're going to cover a lot of scripture today. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open that to John chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible with you, not a big deal at all. Uh, reach down there right in front of you in the rows in front. Grab a Bible out of those chairs. It's page 743 in those Bibles. And you can actually take that home with you if you want. Make it your own. Write your name in it. And uh, you can also, of course, follow along on the app. But I'm going to read through this first section here, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to come back through and start to understand kind of a deeper picture of what Jesus is driving at through this sign. But let me read it first, starting in verse 1, chapter 6 of John. Here's John. He says this, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside. And he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people had saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So he kind of, here's what's going on. 
the word had gotten out at this point that Jesus has kind of taken on rock star status, right? He has healed people and everybody's found out about it. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus right now. So the scriptures tell us there's 5,000 men. Uh, probably there's many more people than that. It was normal in that day to count the men in a group and not count everybody. So there could have been easily upwards of 10, 15, or even 20,000 people in this massive crowd. Regardless, we know there's a huge mass, massive group of people, and they have followed Jesus. They're hearing him teach. He's probably healing, and now they're, they're disconnected from anywhere that they could get food. And so Jesus looks at one of his disciples, and he says, hey, uh, where are we going to feed these people? How are we going to do that? Right? And Philip is going to answer. He's going he's to think logistically. He's going to think how we would think about it. We say, Jesus, uh, even if we had like half a year's salary, it's not even enough for everybody to have like one bite. Right? Even, even to have just a little tiny bit, it would take a huge amount of money. And then Andrew pipes up, which I think is hilarious. He's like, hey, there's this kid over here. He's got five loaves of bread and two fish, right? Which, he's like the guy in the meeting that has a bad idea, right? You're like, dude, really? Is that even worth mentioning? He's like, here's 10 bucks. It can feed everybody. But what's funny is Jesus actually takes the idea and runs with it. He's like, perfect, right? Have everybody sit down. Give me the kid's lunch, right? He, he, this kid gives him these, these five loaves of bread and these two fish, and somehow Jesus gives thanks for it. He supernaturally multiplies this. Would have loved to see this happen. And somehow he's feeding this massive group of people. They eat until they're totally stuffed, right? And there's actually leftovers, right? There's 12 baskets of leftovers that the disciples then collect. So this unbelievable supernatural thing happens. And the people who have just had their bellies filled are like, wow, we need to cash in on this guy. Not only does he heal us, this guy can feed us. Let's put him in charge of everything, right? If he was in charge, we would never be hungry. If he was in charge, we'd be in political power. Like, we need to make him king. This is the guy. We found him. So Jesus disconnects. He goes away for a little bit. And then what he's going to do is he's going to tie this event of feeding the thousands and what he's going to do is drive home this deeper teaching we're going to look at as he explains it to his disciples in the rest of chapter 6. Let, let me show you how this works. Here's what he's going to say in John 6, 26 through 30. Jesus answered, as, as they come to him, they say, Jesus, kind of, where'd you go? He said, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Your bellies are full. That's why you're after me. He says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, which is a, one way to say Jesus, talks about himself in the third person like that, which the Son of Man will give you. For on, uh, for on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Right? So he's going to look and say, don't give all your effort. Don't work for food. Work for this deeper food, this eternal food that's going to answer a deeper set of needs in your life. Certainly, you got to eat. We know that. But don't give your life for that, right? Go, kind of go a layer deeper and go for this food that endures to eternal life. And they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? How do we get that, right? What are you talking about? How do we have that? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, right? Have faith in me, in essence, is what he's saying. 
So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? What's on the people's minds at this point as they come to Jesus is what they're fixated on is getting the bellies filled again, right? It's a new day. No longer are they full from Jesus filling them up. Now they're like, all right, Jesus, you did the, you did the trick yesterday. Let's do it again, right? Will you feed us again? We've got a new problem. Because the reality is in this culture, this day and age, food is not a given. Like the fact that we're going to have meals every day and just have kind of food show up it is not a necessarily a given thing for them. They kind of had to scrounge and fight to eat, and, and eating was a big deal. It was kind of a problem that they were faced with. And I would say this way, that this is normal. This is kind of the same situation that we would find ourselves in. While many of us, probably most of us, will never struggle with finding a day's meal, uh, certainly we wouldn't have a lifestyle like that most often in our culture, we would understand how they feel because they're just focused on their problems, just like we're focused on our problems. Their problems are finding food. Our problems are going to be different, right? We're focused on having everything in our lives work right, right? At the end of the day, just like making life work is a lot of focus and takes a lot of time. Like, I just, I just want my life to work. I want the kids' schedules to work. I want my internet at home to work. I want my car to work. I, I want to make sure my problems that I see in my life are solved, right? I, I said it this way in your notes. So it's, easier, it's always easier to focus on solving our problems than satisfying our souls, right? I got problems, and I want them to be solved, right? My, my car is broken, I got issues. I got to deal with those issues. I need to know, is LeBron going to stay or is he going to leave? Right? Like, this is real, man. <laughs> right? I want to know. And, and the, the problems of the day can consume our attention. They grab our focus. And, and there's, a, there's a deeper set of hungers that, that's kind of starved to death right? and, and remain unanswered. I was thinking about this this week. Kind of an interesting week this week. I was uh, super sick all week, right? So like my face was taken over by the hostile sinus infection and I lost my voice. And that's kind of a significant thing because I like kind of need my voice, you know, in my life. It's kind of a big deal. And not only that, it's just hard to not communicate. If you've ever lost your voice, you know how this works. So I'm trying to uh, interact with Lori, trying to get this problem solved. I'm looking up, researching all kinds of antidotes that can get me my voice back online. Like me and Google can solve all the problems. And Lori's talking to me and I can't talk back to her, so I'm texting her, right? And this is how we're interacting all the time. And then I'm sitting at home thinking, how am I going to do the weekend? How, how am I going to get up and talk to you nice folks, right? Because I have no voice right now. I'm getting a little bit frustrated, a little bit panicky. And then Lori's like, hey, honey. I'm in the other room on my day off, right? Just, just a couple days ago. And she's like, honey, uh, the sink's backing up, right? The kitchen sink is like going to back up. It's going to overflow. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to snap, right? Like, and it, and I, you may or may not know this about me. I, I'm, uh, I love to, like, chop wood and use a chainsaw and cut wood. It's kind of an obsession. I have issues, you know, down that road. But I'm not actually a very handy person. Like, just, like, normal handy skills, right? So last time I tried to do uh, plumbing, I, uh, it became a sermon illustration. It was, like, an issue, right? So usually I try to avoid just, like, watching YouTube and solving my own plumbing problems. I'm like, don't do it. I tried to learn from last time. So I call a couple buddies. Uh, nobody's around. Nobody's available. So I'm like, fine. I will do it. 
YouTube, here we go, right? And so I start looking stuff up. I, I'm, I'm like, got snot running, right? I'm like losing my mind, so frustrated. I'm getting grumpy now. And I'm starting to take the trap apart, and I'm doing the snake down the thing, and I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm sweating now, and I'm, I'm thinking, how am I going to do the weekend? I'm not going to do the sink. It's not even working, and now I'm two hours in. And all of a sudden, it hits me. Maybe God wants to teach me something this week. Like, like maybe, maybe I'm actually living this lesson that I'm going to be talking about this weekend. Because I am consumed by my problems at this point. My plumbing and my voice and my sickness is all I can see. And here's the reality. In two weeks, I'll never think about those problems again. My sink will be fixed and my voice is already back, right? It's all over. But in the moment, it's all that I can see. The reality is, though, over the last week, I probably prayed more than I've prayed in the last month because I needed God to help me in ways that I can't help myself. Me and Google can't fix this one, right? So how am I going to, right? Those lessons are going to last, and there's a deeper set of needs that all of us are chasing. They're down deep because this is how this works. You know it. Even when everything in my life is working, like when the Internet's working and my car's working, all my problems are solved, my soul's not satisfied. Does it satisfy your soul when your internet's working? No, you're just like, great, that's normal, as it should be. We're all that way. But here's the reality. There, there's a deeper hunger underneath that layer of problems, the everyday stuff of life, feeding my belly and getting the sink to work and yada, yada. Underneath all of that, there's a deeper hunger. It's a, it's a hunger that aches at the level of the soul. Make sense? It's why I can have everything I want in life and still feel empty. How does that work? You can see it, right? You can see it all over the place. You can see it in celebrities that have so much money, they literally don't know what to do with it, and yet there's a deep emptiness, a drive, a hunger. And Jesus is looking at this group of people, and I think he's looking at us saying, listen, you, you guys are, you want your bellies filled. You want your problems solved. I'm trying to satisfy you at a deeper level, a soul level. Let me address those set of needs. Would you be open to that? He's driving them there. They're missing the lesson as kind of as usual. And, and here's what they drive into. They say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. We'll talk about manna in a second. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. They think Jesus is still talking about bread. Feed us forever. We want that. He goes on, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Watch the train of thought. He says, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world Jesus takes it one step further, kind of pushes it over the edge. We'll explain it here in a minute, but let me read this first. 
Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And I know at first reading, you're, you're like, what is he talking about? Eating flesh and drinking blood? Are we talking cannibalism? Like, what's going on? Jesus isn't talking about his physical flesh or taking that in. Certainly, that wouldn't even make sense. He's talking about believing in him. Well, let me show you how this all works. So a long time ago, Moses would have been this leader in the, in the people of Israel, right? He, he led them through the Red Sea. He led them in the desert. And when they were out in the desert, they had no food whatsoever to eat. And God used Moses to provide something called manna. Manna means what is it? Like literally, the people were like, what is this stuff? And what would happen in the desert is there would be this flaky stuff that would land in the desert. People would collect it and they would make bread from it. And that's how God would feed the people of Israel for like forever, for years and years and years. For 40 years, they ate this stuff called manna. And if they wanted to live, they had to eat it. So this is available to kind of all the Israelites, right? So all the people that God was leading, it was available to them. This was the bread that was given through Moses, the manna given through him. The reality is though that they must receive it to live physically. There is literally nothing else to eat. They had to eat what God provided, this manna in the wilderness. If they wanted to stay alive, they had to take the bread, so to say, that God provided. Now watch how this works. The people that Jesus is talking to in this day they know that there's going to be a leader that's like Moses that's going to provide for them in a way like Moses provided for them. And Jesus was like, ding, 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 I'm here, and I'm going to take this to a whole new level. I'm going to supersede what Moses did. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to give you bread that you need every day to live physically. What I'm going to offer for you, I'm going to offer my actual body. And I'm going to give myself, I'm going to give myself on the cross, I'm going to offer my flesh and blood, and I'm going to pay for your sin to offer, to satisfy not, not just your physical hunger, but I'm going to satisfy this spiritual hunger that's within you. It's not going to be offered just to the Israelites, it's going to be offered to all people. It's going to be available to everybody, right? Now here's, here's the key, I must receive that to live spiritually, the way that the Bible would talk about spiritual life is this, that we are spiritually dead on our own, that we don't have spiritual life in us, that we have to receive it from an outside source. And Jesus is going to say, listen, I'm, I'm making that spiritual life available to all people. Everybody's in on it. There, there's no one who's excluded from it. I'm going to pay for your sin I'm going to meet the deepest needs of your heart, the, the needs for your guilt to be paid for, for your shame to be erased, to find a purpose, to get out of bed in the morning, to find a joy that's beyond explanation, a peace that surpasses understanding. I'm going to meet those needs. How? With my body. I'm the bread of life. But here's the thing. This life that is offered to all people, the only place you're going to find it is me. I am the exclusive, I am the only, I'm the singular bread of life. I'm not one place to find spirituality among a variety of people. If you want spiritual life, you, you gotta have me. 
You have to take in, just like you take in bread, you have to take in and receive me and believe in me and believe in my sacrifice for your sins. Huge. We say it this way. Belief in Christ isn't one, uh, isn't one of many ways to find what the soul seeking. It's the only way. It's the only way. What Jesus is saying right here would have been as offensive in this day as it is in our day, as challenging in their day as it is in ours. So Jesus is saying, listen, there's not a shelf of moral teachers and moral leaders and moral books or spiritual emphases that you can pick from and choose whatever you want. What he's saying is, I'm the only place you're going to find spiritual life. It's available to everybody. Everybody can be in on it. But I'm really the only place you're going to find this. And the people would have done the math with this. They, they would have said, oh man, like this Jesus guy is not just a, like he's not just a good teacher if he's saying this. He, he can't just land at that level he can't just be the prophet that like does some cool tricks and feeds us sometimes and heals our diseases. If he's saying this, he's, he's saying he's got to be God. If he's saying he's the only way to receive spiritual life, you're like, Jesus, are you, are you for real? You're saying you're the only way to heaven? That's kind of how we would hear it. And just like that lands, kind of like a, like a hammer in our day, it lands like a hammer in theirs. And I want you to see how they received this message. Closer to the end of the chapter, here, here's what they said on hearing it. Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Right? This is a hard teaching. It's hard to accept, hard to swallow. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? He looks at this crowd of people, remember hundreds, thousands of people collected around Jesus, hanging on every word, hearing him say this crazy thing that would be hard to take in. So you're saying you're the only source of spiritual life? You're, you're it? And they're processing this. And Jesus says, is this offensive to you? Well, what if you saw me in my glory? What if you saw me where I was before I came down here? Then, then you'd believe, right? Watch what happens. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The crowd is thinned at this point. Jesus then looks at his 12 and he asks them, you don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I want us to get a picture of what's happening here. So Jesus has, has gathered this massive group, and he's just laid down this teaching that, that's going to kind of blow everyone's mind a little bit. And you can imagine there's a group of people that are around Jesus because they're curious. They're like, who is this guy? This group of people that are, that are interested in Jesus and interested in Jesus improving their lives, solving their problems. But when Jesus kind of throws down the God card, 
and says, I'm the only source of spiritual life. Hundreds, maybe thousands, they, they just turn and walk away. They leave Jesus. Can you imagine being the 12 here? You're one of the inner circle in Jesus' posse. Right? It feels amazing to be on the inner circle when your guys went in. Right? When, you, when he's the rock star and everybody's clapping, you're like, I'm with him. This is amazing. Right? Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. It's awesome to be on that inner circle. But when everybody turns and walks away and it's now it's just you and Jesus again. And Jesus has been rejected, and the guy you hitched your wagon to is the guy that everybody's like, man, I'm out. It's hard teaching. Who can accept it? I wonder what I would say if I was in that situation. I wonder what you would say. I love that Peter, he lands at a place where he says, Jesus, where, am I, where are we going to go, man? You're our guy. You have the words of eternal life. We're in. We're going to follow you no matter what. Courageous. I love it. Lo- love that he lands in that place. So you say, Ryan, what do we do with this sign? Right? How, how do we walk away from it? We look at Jesus and say, wow, he fed the, the 5,000, the 10,000. He uses this illustration to say, you have these physical needs. I'm trying to meet a deeper set of needs, these spiritual needs that only I can solve. I'm the bread of life. And by the way, the only place you're going to find the answer to those needs is me. I'm it. I'm the one and only. How do we look at this sign and kind of walk away today a little bit different? Here's the thing. I think what can happen really easily is we can live in and among church stuff like for a long, 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 long time and be around Jesus and even around some of his teaching that's attractive and never come to the point that this group of people came to where they're faced with the crisis of faith to say, what am I going to do with Jesus? Right, because because if a guy says he's God, like you got to do something with that. If I stood up here and said, "Hey guys, I'm God. You need to follow me. I'm the only way to heaven," you'd be like, "Let's pump the brakes a little bit," (laughs) right? And rightly so. That's what Jesus was doing. He's saying, "I'm the only way. I'm it." So if, if Jesus were here, I wonder if he might be asking us that question. Have we ever actually satisfied the soul question? To look and say, have you actually taken me in and taken in my sacrifice for your sins? Have you received the bread of life? Because here's the reality, especially in our culture and our day, the problems of life and the distractions of life and the entertainment of life can keep me focused and distracted my entire life without getting down to the real bedrock questions. The real stuff. How am I going to have my sins forgiven? And how am I going to get spiritual life? And what is this life really about? Now listen, if you've never 
process that question personally. He'd say, Ryan, I, I was born in church. I, I've been around this stuff forever. When you hear Jesus say, listen, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless you take in my sacrifice, when you hear Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Apart from me, you have no life in you. When you hear those words, have you received that? Listen, if you never made a decision to follow Jesus before, nothing will change your life or mark your life as much as that decision. And here's how it works. You look and you say, Jesus, I believe it. I'm in. I'm in. I believe that you alone could die and pay for my sin. You alone could give me spiritual life, and I want what you have to offer, and I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. I want to follow you. It's actually really simple. It's a heart decision. I made that decision when I was about 19. I had uh, no religious background whatsoever, and that decision scared me. It was frightening. Because here's the reality. I knew that if I said yes to Jesus, I was going to be mocked for it by my friends. I was going to be ostracized by some family members. I knew that at the end of the day, what was going to happen is, is people were going to walk away from me because I said I'm going to stay with Jesus. It's making sense? If you've never made that call to say, I want my soul satisfied by Jesus, it starts there. It starts there. Because here's the thing. If I never process that faith crisis... I got to look at like one of the 12 and say, where am I going to go? When, when, when the people leave Jesus and I'm faced with the question, are you going to leave too? I got to look and say, Jesus, man, you have the words of life. You're it. I'm in, I want to follow you when it's not popular and it's not sexy and you're not the rock star. I'm in for you. He says, what else are we going to do? This is why Jesus cannot just be a good teacher, a moral person, a neat guy. He's either God or he isn't. And if he's God, I want to be with him through thick and thin no matter what. If I interacted with Jesus like that, the soul level, you might be making that decision for the first time. You might be looking and saying, it's been a long time since I ran to Jesus to have my soul satisfied. Ryan, I've been chasing money and satisfaction, and I've been looking to try to answer my soul issues with problems, solving them and with accomplishments. I know, I know I need something else. I need Jesus. If you need to come back to Christ and say, I want you, I want to know you, I want to follow you, maybe you're coming back to do that today. I think Jesus would look at us and say, are your souls satisfied today? Are you satisfied in me? Are you finding the peace and the joy and the life in the 
the erasing of shame that I came to offer? Or are you distracted and frustrated and consumed with the problems of the day? I'm the bread of life and I'm available. But you got to stick with me. You want to follow me all the way to the end. As the band comes out and we sing and we pray, would you wrestle with some of those questions? Looking at the soul again, saying, Jesus, will you meet my deepest needs, the deepest hungers of my heart? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need you. We need you at the deepest levels, Lord. And I pray, I pray you would help us, help me to see that. Because, Lord, it's just not that obvious. When there's so much that can grab our attention, it's easy to push away the deep needs of the soul. Lord, I, I pray today that you would help us to see who you are, your passion and your heart for us. That you want to forgive our sin. You want to erase our shame. You long to give us purpose and joy and satisfaction at a level that is deeper than circumstance. Would you help us to believe that today? Speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to follow you no matter the cost. It's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen.